0: Hey, hey guys, good morning, how we doing? Yeah. Woo, yeah, I know, it's summer, you've been swimming, you've been out in the heat and all that jazz. Well, I'm excited to have you here today, thanks for being in church. It is a, it's a great Sunday, got a lot of good stuff planned. Uh, I want to just kind of follow in the same track as Pastor I. He was really, uh, I hope you guys understood that, bragging on God. He was bragging on what God is doing through you here at the church and uh, in the community. I want to brag on God, too. So last Sunday, we had church service, and there was a guy who gave his heart to Jesus last Sunday. Let's give it up. Thank you, God, that we are seeing life change, and uh, and so that was amazing. Got got a chance to to reach out to him this week and talk about the the journey that he is now on. You know, it's not over. Once you give your heart to Christ, it's not over. That is the start of a journey. And so we talked a little bit about that. And so very thankful for what God has done in that gentleman's life. Well, then that's not all. So last Sunday evening, uh, there was a baccalaureate service at North Duplin High School. And uh, they asked our band, and let me just, so a baccalaureate service, some of you know, some of you may not. I'll be honest, I'd never really heard that term. My senior class didn't do one. I didn't even know it was a thing. But a baccalaureate service Service is where a senior class gets together and they decide we want to we want to have a church service together as a as a graduating class before we all go our different directions. And so it's an awesome opportunity to kind of close out one chapter well and open up another chapter in life. And so uh, that's what we did last Sunday evening at North Duplin High School. Our band just went and did a phenomenal job praising Jesus' name, worshiping Jesus. And it was so cool. Uh, at the very end, I just want to brag on the principal a little bit. Uh, Pastor John Michelson from First PH, uh, we love those guys. He came and presented the word. And, uh, and the students were all through the service. The students at North Duplin did a phenomenal job. The FCA leadership there headed all of that up. Here's the point. At the end, uh, I, didn't have, I, I didn't know this was going to happen. Maybe some of the other guys did. I didn't. Uh, the principal says, hey, if you're here today and you're a pastor, would you please stand? And so I stood. And then there was pressure because he said, now would you come down front? And I was like, oh, man, why did I self-identify, you know? And so then I go down front and I have no idea what's about to happen next. That is a little bit of an unnerving feeling. And so we go down there and he, he did an outstanding job, this principal. He, here's what he said. There was a, a sweet lady playing keyboard and he said, you've heard the word. You've heard the word presented through song. You've heard what these students have to say. And you've heard the word of God presented through the sermon. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, come forward at this time and he sat the mic down, and he went and stood in line with us. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, I'm like, oh, you got to do a little more than that. You, you need to, you know, talk to him about what's going to happen. And No, he didn't either. There was a gentleman there that evening. He walked down. It was amazing. I was looking in that direction anyway. He gets down out of the top row of the bleachers, and if you've ever been... <laughs> If you've ever been in a gymnasium, any gymnasium, uh, and there's not a ball game or something going on, you hear every creak and crack. And and so he walks down. Just the courage it took. I was so impressed with this gentleman, the courage it took to walk down. And he comes from all the way in the top row, comes down front, prays with the pastors, gives his heart to the Lord right there in a public school. Let's give it up one more time. That's phenomenal, guys, and the reason that's phenomenal is because for so long, we have been praying, you guys have been praying, that revival would break out in this community, Mount Olive, Dudley, Calypso, Faison, Seven Springs, Marmac, all around here, and that we would get to be part of it, and so I'm happy to report that last Sunday in two different services, two different groups of people heard the word presented and two gentlemen now are going to have a home in heaven for all of eternity because the word of God was preached in this community and the Holy Spirit's moving. And guys, I'm just telling you, let's not take that for granted. Let's celebrate that when we see that. Let's get excited about what God is doing in our midst. And it all started because of a group of high school seniors said, hey, let's, let's have a church service. And so that's incredible. So anyway, really glad for what God's doing. I'm, I'm bragging on God not only for what he did last week, but I also want to brag on God for what he's going to do today. When you walked in, you may have noticed there is a large baptismal tank in the foyer. And so right after service or as a continuation of service, we're going to have water baptisms. And uh, it is the largest baptism class. It's the largest single class of people we've ever had in the history of the Bridge Mount Olive. So that means people are getting saved and we're just excited. All right. <clears throat> so y'all know I've got 30 extra minutes today because all this stuff. No, I'm just kidding. So let me, let me go on into the sermon. Uh, kicked off a brand new sermon series last week called Blessed. I am Blessed, And there's a few foundational truths that you need to understand as we go in this sermon. Uh, And and I'll just kind of recap this very quickly from last week in case you weren't here. I am blessed. Me being blessed is not necessarily related to my circumstances. Sometimes everything around me can be going right, and I'm not blessed. And sometimes everything around me can be going wrong, and I know that I am blessed. And so we looked in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and we saw Solomon's life. And I want to encourage, if you weren't here last week, that is worth going and reading this afternoon. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I denied myself no pleasure. He was going after it. He wanted to have a good time. He was accumulating stuff. It says right there in the first few uh, verses of that chapter, he said, I had large homes. I had large flourishing vineyards. I had more gold and silver than any of the kings who had come before me. Solomon had it all. He set out. he, He set out. To achieve all of this, to have all of these things. He set out to have the blessed life and he gets all of this stuff. And then he looks around one day and there's this pivotal verse, I think it's verse 11, where he says, And I looked around one day and it was all meaningless. Everything that I had, everything that I had worked so hard to achieve, that I had uh, strived for and, and, and given up time for and invested in, all of it. I looked around and I couldn't find meaning anywhere. I love what he says. He said it was like chasing the wind. It was just so meaningless. Why? Because having the right circumstances doesn't necessarily mean I am blessed. And for many of us, just put that in your own context. For a lot of us, we package it up really nice. and We call it the American dream. Well, you know, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm trying to get to the next level in the company. I'm trying to get more money. I can't, you know, help the poor because I've got to save this money and I've got to invest it now. And, and we use all of these different things as reasons why... We need more and more and more and more. But having the right circumstances doesn't necessarily mean we're blessed. And, and the other foundational truth for this whole series is sometimes we're more blessed by what God withheld from us. By the times where God said, Hey, I, I want to give this, but you need to wait a little bit. You're not quite ready in this season for this thing. And, and we can look back at many areas in our life. We can look back with hindsight and see... Oh, okay, that's what God was up to. And thank God, at the time, I thought it was the best thing for me to have this. But now, with hindsight, and even sometimes with hindsight, you still don't understand why you had to wait. You still don't understand why God didn't answer that prayer. And it still seems like it would have been a good thing. And yet, I'm here to tell you, and and we all know in some way, shape, or form that sometimes the best blessing we can have is something God doesn't do for us. Uh, I, I want to show you this the sermon graphic. I, I just love this. So there's the sermon series title. I am blessed, and then you see this guy, and his situation looks like anything but right. It, it, he's his car's smoking, probably a Ford. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just lost half the room right there. Forgive me. Lord, help me. Car's smoking, broke down. He's pushing it, and then he's getting lit up. And I just think that's the, you know, the added touch. That's the icing on the cake there. And yet, there's that bold proclamation in the top left, in spite of my circumstances. Sometimes because of my circumstances, but sometimes in spite of my circumstances. Are you hearing me? Sometimes in spite of the way things are going. I am blessed. How can that be? How can things be going bad in our life? How can we be facing storms and controversy and adversity in our life, and yet things work out, and yet things we know we are blessed? How can that be? I want to show it to you in scripture. We're reading in Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be at for this whole series. We're taking an expository look at the Beatitudes. Uh, So Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. The very first part of that, Jesus kicks it off the first few verses of chapter 5 are the Beatitudes. And in that, Jesus gives eight statements. And in these eight statements, he is telling us how we can be blessed, how we can be blessed. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going to teach me how to be blessed, I want to kind of sit on the edge of my seat. I want to lean in. I want to hear that because I want to be blessed And I believe that Jesus understands what he's talking about. And he's the best teacher that ever lived. And so we're looking at what did he say? Verse 3. This is what we covered last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And and I won't re-preach the sermon, but let me just kind of hit the central train of thought there. We are blessed, you and I are blessed, when we have this moment of self-evaluation where we look at our lives and look at ourselves and we say, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've I've fallen short. There's a holy God and he has a holy standard and, and I can't meet it. And because of my sin, I have created a debt that I cannot pay. And so what in the world am I to do? I have need of God. I have need of Jesus to be my bridge to get me to a holy God. And so we're blessed when we see our need for Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now today we're looking at the next verse. It's verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I could keep going. I could read you the other six. I won't today. You can go home and read those on your own. I did that last Sunday. I'm not going to do that every week in the series. But it's funny, as you read these eight statements, as you look at every one of the Beatitudes, whatever Jesus says, it's the opposite of what you would think. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, I'd rather be rich in spirit. But again, every single one of them is really the opposite of what you would think. The, the funny thing about this one is, verse 4, this one is the most opposite. You follow what I'm saying? So, so as you would look at all eight, you would think, well, I, I, I would say that a little bit differently. But this is the one that you're like, nah. what is Jesus talking? This one is the most opposite. Blessed are those who mourn. It's like saying, happier the sad. Wait, what? That doesn't matter. Happier the sad. Okay, Jesus, since it's opposite day, why don't we say, you know, rich or the poor, young or the old, you know? I mean, let's just go all in if we're going to mix it up. And yet, this makes much more sense when we see it in context. Let me define a few terms for you. Mourn. I think you guys know what that means. It is to experience deep grief. Anybody ever gone through a season of mourning? Yeah. And I promise you, if you haven't gone through one, at some point in life, it is an unfortunate reality of just living a while. You will at some point. As a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, Nicole and I, we went back to Fayetteville. Some of you have heard this part of our story, but for two years, we worked at a place called Falcon Children's Home. And while we were there at the children's home, we, uh, we got married and all that. And we were over transitional living program, TLP. One of our students was named Sequoia. Let me just tell you how close we were with, with these girls. So there was this house. And then attached to the house was this apartment. And Nicole and I, we're a young married couple. We're living in the apartment. And the four girls lived in the house. And so for them, they got all these privileges because they were 18, and they were staying in the foster care system, and they were enrolled in school full-time. And so anyway, a lot of details I could go into, but the only thing that separated us from four crazy teenage girls was a door. Dear Lord, help me, Jesus, because... They would play their music really loud. and You'd have to go, hey, pipe down. It's 11 o'clock. Sometimes uh, on the weekends, they had to cook for themselves. We were trying to teach them cooking skills. And Nicole and I would be in our apartment. And all of a sudden, it would smell like the other, house, the other side of the house was burning down. They were just cooking themselves dinner. One of the students was named Sequoia. And this past week, unfortunately... Sequoia passed away, and uh, 27 years old. Sequoia had a condition. I, they told me the name for it yesterday. I'm forgetting. It's a, a long medical day. Def- but she had ulcers that would pop up on her body. And the thing I didn't know from our time together, and that was over eight years ago, was that those ulcers also developed on her organs. And so Sequoia just fought a valiant fight. But at 27 years old, she lost her life. And I think by anybody's measure, 27 years old is far too young to be losing a life. We were there yesterday, and there were all these students. And just being there to help them during that grieving process and grieving ourselves, it was it was incredibly tough. And there were some good moments. I mean, it was so... So some of the kids, they were 13 and 14 when we left. And now they're grown and have jobs and boyfriends and girlfriends. And so that was neat to see them and hadn't seen them in a while. But, but it was a tough day. What, what am I telling you? I'm, I'm telling you, grieving is tough. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I thought to myself, you know, I think, I think this is one of the emotions that we as human beings handle the worst. I don't know if you would agree with that. Just in my experience as a pastor and seeing people go through uh, different seasons of mourning, and we mourn for all different kinds of things. The loss of a relationship or a marriage or for some of us the loss of a pet. (laughs) There's a pet that's like family, and if you were to lose that pet, you know what I'm talking about. But it's it's a season that we, we really don't handle well. And I was talking with Pastor Andy and Pastor Ryan. They're the two pastors that handle pastoral care at our two other locations. And they were like, absolutely. It's because during that season, there's all these decisions that are demanded of us every single day. And yet when we're grieving, we're emotional. And so we're having to make decisions out of emotion. And so that part stuff. The other thing that I think is so tough about grieving and going through pain is pain is polarizing. Pain is polarizing. It's like ends on a magnet. And, And so for some people, our reaction to pain is it pulls us closer to Jesus. Oh man, we want to be in church all the time. We're constantly reading our Bible. It enhances our relationship with Jesus. But for others, I have seen those who have gone through seasons of pain and it's been like the opposite end of a magnet. You remember in high school science class, you would take those magnets and one would push, and they weren't even touching, that they were just repulsed by each other. For some, pain is like that, and, and their reaction to it just seems to really push them further and further and further away from God and the truth and the Bible. And so, and so pain is just incredibly polarizing. But in this particular instance, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had a train of thought. And so in verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I realize my poverty of soul. I realize that I need Jesus. And now the next beatitude fits right into that. I'm blessed if I mourn over my sin. When I see the sin that has just been revealed to me, when I know Man, I can't get to God by myself. I can't do enough good works. I can't be good enough. I can't serve enough. I can't give enough money to earn my way to heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. And the the thing that Jesus is trying to teach there is blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And so the question I want to present to all of us today is, Does our sin break our heart? Does our sin break our heart? Ladies and gentlemen, I pray that that is something you would write down, take a picture of, think about that, wrestle with that this week. Let me personalize it. Does my sin break my heart? Here's what I can promise you it breaks the heart of God. Not that he won't forgive you. Not that he doesn't love you or he's giving up on you. But when we sin, sin by definition separates us from God. And so God doesn't want there to be a separation. God wants you to be close to him. God wants us to walk in intimacy with him. And so when we sin, when we separate ourselves, that breaks God's heart. And the question for us to answer and to wrestle with is, does my sin break my heart? Am I grieved over my sin? Can I be honest with you? I didn't see any yeses or no. Nah, I'm, I'm going to. My sin, for, for a lot of us, the reason why we're not grieving our sin is because we're too busy celebrating it. We're, we're too busy celebrating it. Now, I know pastors have stood behind pulpits and podiums just like this one this morning, and they've told you sin is vile and heinous and wicked, and it is all those things. But let me tell you something else about sin. It's fun for a little while. Anybody agree? It's fun. There is a, it's pleasurable at first. There is a, a portion of time where when you are sinning, Oh, man, it's nice. It's fun. You're enjoying it. But what does Scripture say? For the wages of sin is death. Sin is pleasurable while you're racking up the charges, but one day that bill is going to come due. And depending on your season and depending on your sin depends on when that bill is going to come due. But for some of us, we don't grieve over our sin because we're celebrating it. For others of us, we don't grieve over our sin because we're too busy protecting it. Pastor Andrew, you can talk about pride and you can talk about lust, but don't you talk about gossip. Because if you talk about gossip, I'm gonna be mad at you. Pastor Andrew, don't you talk about sexual immorality. not you talk, you can talk about gluttony, you can talk about all that, don't you talk about sexual immorality? Arr, It's my sin. It's my thing. We all have that pet thing. Here's the other thing. For some of us, we don't grieve over our sin because we're justifying it. I actually had someone come in my office, and we looked at Scripture together. We opened the Bible, and I said, ma'am, what you're doing is wrong. It's right there in God's Word. Here's what she told me. Pastor Andrew, I have prayed about this and God has given me a release I'm I'm sorry say that one more time She was telling me no 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 this is cool this is God said I could It's in his word that this is wrong and this is it. but folks if if you think about anything long enough you can justify it to yourself and so for some of us that's why we're not grieving our sin is because we're so busy justifying it. Let me ask you a question. You ever had anything in your eye? You ever get an eyelash or something in your eye? Oh man, that is painful. Good gracious, that hurts. Several years ago when I was a kid, I was at Tweetsie Railroad and um, grandparents had taken me and One of the things that they say now, I know this because I went last fall and took my kids, and my sons are at an age where they really enjoyed it. But one of the things they say now is, hey, be careful, guard your eyes, because one of the embers from the locomotive could come back and get in your kid's eye. You want to know why they have to have that warning? (laughs) Because when I was a kid, I'm sure it will happen to a lot of kids, I don't know what the odds are. One in a million, whatever it was, I was the one in a million. And so we're on that train. Something lands in my eye, and my grandparents are back there, and they are trying to dig it out and dig it out, and for whatever reason, they can't get it. Finally, we have to go to the medic station, and they wash out my eye. Folks, I'm telling you, if you've ever had anything in your eye, you know your whole world stops until you can get that thing out of your eye. I don't care if you're a grown man. It'll bring a grown man to his knees because there is a sensitivity in our eye where we just cannot stand to keep going with that thing there. My prayer is that our sin would be like something in our eye. That, that we would have that mentality where we would say, God, Would you make me sensitive to my sin? Would you help me be so sensitive that whenever I sin, whenever I separate myself from you, God, that you would help me to realize it and to stop right then in that moment and repent. Just like as soon as I get an eyelash in my eye, I know I'm stopping, I'm doing something, I'm getting help. You may be in a season right now where it just seems like, man, I'm praying and praying and God's not doing anything. It's like, I'm going to tell you, that is a prayer that God will answer 10 out of 10 times. Lord, reveal my sin to me. I pray that you would break my heart over my sin. He'll do it 10 out of 10 times. Because he doesn't want you to be separated from him. So go back to that word mourn. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. That same Greek word is actually used again in another place. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, here it is. Verse 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. Look at what Paul says. Hey, even people who aren't in the church, even people who don't follow Jesus, they know what you're doing is wrong, and yet somehow you don't know that. Okay, what was it? Finish out verse 1. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Paul goes on to say, and you are proud. There's stuff pagans won't even do, and you're proud of it. Shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning and put this man out of your fellowship who has been doing this? Paul said, you've had the complete wrong reaction. There is this sin that not even unbelievers do, not even the pagan world does. And not only does this sin not bother you, you're actually proud about it. But Paul wasn't done there. He wrote a second letter to the Corinthian church that we have, and you know about it. It's 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul references a painful visit. He talks about how there's already been one painful visit. I don't want to have to have another. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what happens. After Paul wrote 1 Corinthians... Paul pays them a visit. It's a painful visit. And then he writes them a letter. He writes the Corinthian church a letter. Theologians don't think we have this letter. We we think this letter's gone. And so he says, I wrote a painful letter to you. And now he's addressing. So 1 Corinthians, painful visit, painful letter. Now 2 Corinthians. And he references the letter. And here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. 8, 9, and 10. He says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Paul has the heart of a father. He's saying, You remember when your parents would spank you? What would they always say before they would spank you? This is going to hurt me. Your parents lied to you too. And the thought I always had when my parents would say that is, I will gladly trade places, right? Let's, I'll, take, I'll take one for the team. I'll whip you and I'll be hurt more, you know? Paul's got the heart of a father. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, it broke my heart having to write it to you. But I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Look at verse 9. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way. So this this letter brought about some change. So now I'm glad. At first it, it hurt me, but now I'm glad. And look at verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret at some point sin always leaves regret godly sorrow leads to salvation and leaves no regret and he goes on to say there's a different kind so there's godly sorrow and then there's worldly sorrow worldly sorrow brings death so so paul is saying there there is a difference in the way you grieve there is two different kinds of sorrow there's worldly sorrow you just feel bad for a little while. It takes a little while. You got to get over it. You got to get past the emotions of the moment. It's tough. But then there's a different kind of sorrow. There's a sorrow that is productive. That's godly sorrow. I want to show you guys a little chart we got here. Sorrow produces mourning. That godly sorrow leads to grief. Mourning produces repentance. That word repent that's a, that, that word in the original language just means to change direction. So, so you change direction mentally, and then repentance produces change. Because now, now that I've turned around, when I begin to move again, my actions follow the directions of my thoughts. All of this is only, po- all of this is only possible through the help of the Holy Spirit. So he says, this godly sorrow... Sorrow produces mourning. There's grief. There's this emotion that's associated with it. I see my sin and I say, I don't like this. It grieves me. It makes me sad. I hate my sin. Then that that emotion produces repentance. It produces change. And that repentance produces a change. We act different. We are different. We become more godly as we change to make ourselves more like Jesus. Jesus. So look at verse 4 one more time. Put that up there if you can, guys. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The reason why we're blessed when, we're, when we mourn is because when we mourn over our sin, it invites the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter into our lives, to comfort us. That's the key. That's what it's all about. That's why we can be blessed when we mourn but it's talking about mourning our sin. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that on its face as you look at this and as we saw this, it it really didn't make sense, but but as we dive in, we understand that the closer we get to you, the more that we see our sin for what it is and, and, and have this emotional reaction and we mourn over our sin and we get away from it. We are blessed because we are getting closer to you. Father, thank you for for loving us, for forgiving us, and for offering us a way back to you, even when we don't deserve it. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.